This morning's reading is taken from 1 Kings chapter 16, starting at verse 29 and going on to chapter 17, finishing at verse 7. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but also married Jezebel's daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hael of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abaram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Amen, and thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we come to your word, to this great story of Elijah, but we pray this morning that as we consider it together, you would speak to us, that our souls might be set on fire by your word, that we might be filled with encouragement by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought we'd take the next few weeks and we'd look at the story of Elijah. Now, to give you a little bit of context here, a bit of historical background, when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king over the whole of God's people, the 12 tribes. And the people asked Rehoboam, what his policies would be as, as king. Well, Rehoboam wasn't a very wise king, and he said, well, I'm going to tax you very hard, and that caused a rebellion. And what happened was the 10 northern tribes, the tribes of Israel, declared independence under Jeroboam, son of Nebat. So you ended up with the kingdom of God's people split into two, the north and the south, Israel and Judah. The story of Elijah is a story from the northern kingdom. After Jeroboam, son of Nebat, led the people away from God into what we call apostasy, really just deserting God and worshipping idols, um, it got worse and worse. A number of dynasties of kings followed him, one worse than the other, until we come to Omri and his son Ahab. Ahab, who we're going to meet in this story quite a bit, married a Phoenician princess called Jezebel. 
And Jezebel wasn't just a worshiper of Baal, who was a, a pagan god. She actively persecuted the followers of the one true God. Ahab took his capital of Samaria, and there he built a temple and put in it an altar to Baal right in the center of God's people. So Ahab was a man who had nothing but contempt for God, and a particular contempt for all the history of God's people. We're told in this passage that Elaine read for us that he allowed a man from Bethel to rebuild the walls of Jericho. Now, you'll know the story of Jericho. Jericho was the first thing that Israel had done when it had come into the promised land. The walls of Jericho had been ripped down and the city had been conquered. And at that time, Joshua had said, no one is ever to rebuild Jericho. But Ahab didn't care anything for Moses and Joshua and the history of God's covenant. So the picture we're left with is a land in the grip of godlessness. And after many years, someone needs to say something. And that someone is Elijah. One of the things that I'm aware of as we look at this story is it's the story of a drought. Elijah says there'll be no rain and there was no rain in Israel for three years. A drought is, of course, a natural disaster. We sit at the moment in the middle of a COVID epidemic, which might feel much the same. Everybody touched by it from the greatest to the least. It's interesting because in the Bible, quite often a natural disaster is seen as a judgment from God. And it's left some people wondering, what is the purpose of what we're going through. But actually in the Bible, most of the time, suffering is not God's judgment. The book of Job is Job struggling with why he's suffering. He's going through tremendous suffering, thinking he must have done something wrong. And his friends all say he, he must have done something wrong. But the point of the book of Job is that he hasn't. Sometimes there's not an explanation for suffering that we can grasp. It's simply an invitation to trust God. In the book that we're reading from 1 Kings, the drought that comes is never actually called a punishment. But what it is, as we will see, is an opportunity. It's a time in that suffering for people to reassess, particularly for Ahab to reassess, to look at where things are heading, to work out what's important. What is God saying to us today. I wish I could stand before you today saying I have the answer to why we are going through this. I, I don't. But I do have some questions. Do we take the opportunity to realize what's important? That people are important, the gathering is important, the community matters. Do we take what we are learning about protecting the most vulnerable by our, our sacrifices and do we carry that on after this is all over or do we forget it? Do we just go back to the pleasure seeking and the pubs being open and the concerts and all the things that we enjoyed afterwards or do we take some of the lessons about being together? The role of a prophet 
is to ask those questions, to bring the Word of God into the situation that we find ourselves, and to invite people to turn back to God. Elijah is a prophet, and that's what we're going to look at in these weeks. Now, when I say a prophet, let's be clear what a prophet is. A prophet in the Bible is, is not so much someone who tells you what the future will be, so much as someone who speaks the word of God into the present. What is going on? What is God saying now? What is God wanting now? And the book of Kings is actually not really about the kings. It's much more about the prophets. It's about the word of God being spoken into the political situations that people find themselves in. In fact, the whole story of King David is told in a book called the book of Samuel, as if the person who speaks the word of God, the prophet Samuel, is actually more important than the king. Elijah's story is told over about a dozen chapters of the book of Kings. The interesting thing is that kings don't usually get 11 chapters. It's the prophets. Ahab's dad, Omri, was quite an important king. In fact, the archaeologists will say he was a very important king. He built things that have been found. There are inscriptions all about the reign of Omri, and yet the Bible will dismiss him in 12 verses and basically to say he was a bad man. The point is, this is not the story of Ahab, the king. It's the story of Elijah, the story of God's person speaking God's word. Why does that matter? Well, for this reason. In the Bible, the twists of economics and politics, of power, are not of lasting significance. What matters is the voice of God speaking to his people. And that matters for us all these years later in 2021. As we think about the year that we're going into, we might think the year 2021 is going to be all about, I don't know, Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Boris or Nicola or COVID or the economy or all the things which seem to consume the media all the time. But actually, is that the case? There's a wonderful Latin phrase, which is, oh, I've lost it. Can I go back here? Yes, I can. It's this, sick transit gloria mundi. Now, I, I don't know any Latin, so I've probably pronounced that wrong, but what it means is, so passes the glory of the world. And what it reminds us is that some things seem big and important, but actually, in the long history, in God's history, they're just things that happen, and then they pass. In medieval times, when a new pope was chosen, the pope became the ruler of a large province in Italy, and also very powerful throughout the world. But as he was being crowned and given all that power, they got a servant to stop the procession three times and say to the pope, Sic gloria transit mundi. All this glory, all this power will pass away. Stop and think what's important. We've just entered 2021 and we don't know what it will bring. Will it bring good things, hopeful things, things getting better? Or will there be more problems? I don't know, but 
Stop and remember this. That number, 2021, is prefixed, isn't it? It's 2021 Anno Domini, AD. It's Latin again. And it means simply the year of our Lord. What will 2021 be for you and for me? Well, we don't know, but here's the thing. We don't need to let anyone else define it or any event define it. We don't need to let it be defined by the boss that's bullying us or the neighbor that's causing us trouble or the illness or fear or the virus. We can let Jesus define the year. It's his year. This is the year of our Lord. And so what we have in the book of Kings is we have kings and we have prophets. The prophets that speak the word of God to the kings. But where are the prophets in our day? Who speaks the word of God to power today? We can think of history in many ways of people speaking powerful words at difficult times. Martin Luther speaking up at the Reformation for the truth of Christ. John Knox, who bravely spoke to Mary, Queen of Scots, about the word of God. Martin Luther King speaking out for black America and for its rights in the civil rights movement. We need more of those voices today. Or maybe Nelson Mandela speaking up not just for the fall of apartheid, but for the reconciliation that was needed. Words that made a difference. But here's the thing. Prophets don't need to be famous people. God's word says this, that on the day of Pentecost as the Spirit came, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people, my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. What does this mean? It means that every Christian, everyone that's baptized into Jesus is invited to have a prophetic voice to speak those words of God's wisdom into the world around them, the truth of the gospel, a word of forgiveness, a word of justice, a word of healing, a word that changes things. You are called to be prophets, speaking God's words, God's wisdom into the everyday situations that you find yourself, challenging what's going on. I wonder, does that terrify you? Well, if it does, let me introduce you to Elijah. The Bible introduces him in this one verse, and we're going to spend a bit of time on this one verse Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, the Bible usually, when it introduces someone, tells you who they are, and it usually does that by telling you who their father was, what family they were from, what made them important. The interesting thing about Elijah is his father's not mentioned almost certainly because his dad was a nobody from nowhere. We're just told that he was a Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead. Now, to cut a long story short, nobody actually knows where Tishbe is. Nobody's heard of it. It doesn't show up on any map. In fact, it might not be a place at all. It might simply mean a settler from the settlement near Gilead. Basically, what the Bible is saying about Elijah is he's just a man from nowhere. He's a hick from the back of beyond. 
We're told later on he was a hairy man known for wearing a leather belt. He was a sort of rustic figure of no importance. He wasn't the type of guy you'd expect to find at the king's court. In fact, he was so rough that years later when John the Baptist went out wearing his skins, people compared him to Elijah. And yet, this Elijah, this man from nowhere, turned out to be the greatest prophet that there ever was in the whole of the Old Testament. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus met with two figures representing the whole of the Old Testament. One was Moses, and the other was Elijah. But look at what we learn from him, about him, just from this one verse. Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. The first thing that Elijah said out of his conviction in his heart was that God is alive. God is real. God who created you, the God who gave his name at the burning bush, the God who made this nation, who brought it out of Egypt, he is alive. He's not an idea. He's not an opinion. He's not a theory, a philosophy. He's not even a religion. He is real. And Elijah stands before the king of Israel who thinks he controls everything, who makes all the decisions. And Elijah says, there is a living God and he is the God of Israel. You're just the king. And by the way, there's been a number of kings before you and there'll be lots of kings after you and they're not that important. They're ten a penny. Even prophets are rarer. But in this story, there is only one God, the God of Israel. And that trumps everything else. Everything else passes away. Sick Gloria transit Mundi. You know, one of the things that Donald Trump is discovering is that he's not the center of the universe. In fact, in four days' time, he's yesterday's man. Make America great again? Hmm. He couldn't do that. He wasn't that important. He wasn't that powerful. He's not the Messiah. Just a naughty boy. They come and they go. Presidents, kings, prime ministers, first ministers. But what nations need is a new heart, a new justice, a new hope, and only God can bring that. What does Scotland need above everything else? It needs a new faith in Jesus Christ, who is its saviour. As we follow the story of Elijah and Ahab, it's really a contest between two things. God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, and Baal, the pagan. And Baal is a storm god. Oh, I didn't bring a picture of him, I meant to. Baal is a storm god. He's supposed to be the god of rain. In fact, figurines of him have been found all over the Middle East which show him sitting on a bull with a club of lightning and a sprig of thunder ready to bring the storm on. But Elijah simply says, there won't be any rain until God says. I'm speaking the truth to power, he says, or to the pretense of it. Now, of course, we don't stand today trying to confront Baal 
but we do stand before all sorts of things that pretend to have power, things that pretend that they can save us, and they can't. The power of human politics to save the planet, the power of pleasure to give meaning to life, the power of science to answer all the questions. And to all of these things, with all their agendas, we need to hear the word of God. See, the thing about Baal, it wasn't just that somebody built a shrine to him in the temple in the capital city. The thing about Baal is that people made little models of him and they put them in their households until every part of the whole of the community was worshipping a god that was no god at all. And that's why, as we are being prophets and calling people back to God, their hearts back to God, it's not just about the politics and the big things. It's also about putting God at the center of our houses, of our communities, of our church, confident that he is real. So here we have Elijah boldly speaking of a God that no one is paying any attention to and saying he is the real God. But where do we get that confidence from? Notice this. As the Lord the God of Israel lives, says Elijah, whom I serve. Whom I serve. One of the things you'll notice if you read through the story of Elijah at the end of 1 Kings is that it is a story of a big political confrontation between Elijah and Ahab, but it's also another story. It's the story of Elijah's relationship with God. Whom I serve, the Hebrew literally says, whom I stand before. Think about it this way. Here's Elijah, the hick from nowhere, standing before the mighty king of Israel, and he says, that's not important. What is important is I stand before God. It's my spiritual relationship to God that matters. It's knowing who I am because God made me and God called me. That's one of the reasons I asked people to send in those pictures with I am baptized on them. We showed them at the beginning of the service. Please keep sending them in, partly just so we can see each other in these days that we're divided, but it's also this, that each one of us would say, I am baptized, that is who I am. That is what defines me, not COVID, not my allegiance to this or that not what's going on right now, not what makes me afraid. I am defined by my relationship with God and who God has called me in Jesus Christ. Elijah had a very deep faith. Now, as we read the story, we'll find that Elijah's faith was also a very rocky faith, much like ours. He doubted at times. He despaired at times. One minute he seemed brave for God. The next minute he was running away. He seemed at one point as if he was depressed, almost suicidal. But through it all, he had the sense of a relationship with God. James in the New Testament, speaks of Elijah. And he says one thing about Elijah. He says, Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. That's what we remember him for, says James. 
And we need today people who, yes, can speak boldly, yes, can, can challenge things, yes, can set a new agenda, but beyond everything else, who are people who pray, people who draw very deeply on their relationship with God. Action and prayer go together. Martin Luther, who started the whole Reformation, is famous for having said this, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to able to get it all done. We sometimes say I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm too busy to pray. Martin Luther said the opposite. He said I'm too busy not to do those things. It's interesting if you carry on reading this passage that that first verse speaks very much of the confrontation, the politics of it. But then we're told in the second verse, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It didn't come to the king. And when it came to Elijah, it didn't come with a big political message of what he was to say. It came and it said this, leave here, turn east and hide. The Hebrew for hide literally says, be absent. Come into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, what happened was Elijah experienced the same drought that everybody else was experiencing, except he had his needs met. God, and we find this in various parts of this passage, very gently dealt with him. He sent ravens to bring him food and a brook to bring him water. You see, what God was doing was teaching Elijah a very simple lesson, to trust him. If Elijah was going to call the whole nation to trust God and to understand God's priorities, the first thing Elijah had to do was to do it himself. To trust God, even when the water dried up, and you can read that in the next verses. If you are going to be useful to me, said God, if you're going to lead this people back to me, you're going to have to go into deep, painful places with me and learn to trust me. If we were to look at people who changed the world in my generation, one of the top ones would no doubt be Nelson Mandela, changed a whole society and gave hope to a whole world of reconciliation. But the truth of Nelson Mandela isn't just what he did when he became president and had all that power. It's in the story, is it not, of what he went through. Mandela wrote this, until I changed myself, I could not change others. Until he'd found deep within him a place of forgiveness. He could not lead a whole society to reconciliation. Somehow in the years of imprisonment, he learned not anger but compassion. And if it hadn't been for those lost years, there wouldn't have been the public work. 
Friends, there's all sorts of things we'd like to do as a church. There's all sorts of things we'd like to offer to our community. There's all sorts of ways we'd like to change society around us. There's all sorts of ways we'd like to see the world transformed. But perhaps in this time, not of drought, but of COVID, the challenge is much simpler. It's to come back to Jesus It's to hear his word to us. It's to learn to trust him again. To take our frustrations to him, our impatience to him, and ask him to teach us patience once more. What is God asking us to do? Where is he sending us? What words is he asking us to speak in the name of him who is alive? But first, he invites us to come and to trust him. Let's follow Elijah in these coming weeks and learn more about that. But for now, I would just encourage you to take time this Sunday, this Lord's Day, before him. Hide away like Elijah did. To look at how he provides for you. To share with him your frustrations, your wonderings and to ask that he would renew that sense that you are his, that you stand before him. Amen.